Welcome to season two of Sadie's Divorced and Happy Podcast, where I talk about life after divorce with a playful, fresh, out-of-the-box perspective. Every episode includes burning questions, spicy conversations, and tips to happiness. Are you ready for an amazing act two? Then join me on today's episode. It's time to get your new beginning started. I am so excited to connect with you today about the Red Room and about sexual healing after divorce. If you've been listening to my podcast for some time now, you probably have figured out that after my divorce, I was really ready for some sexy fun, and I even created what I now call my naughty bag, and I dove headfirst into the post-divorce pleasure pool, and I had fun. I had so much fun. It was exciting to enjoy sex again. For me, my sexual healing post-divorce, well, it was discovered through my various sexual experiences in the bedroom and out of the bedroom. Uh, I got pretty creative. But through doing this podcast for over a year now, I've learned through my, my guests and my listeners that not everyone is looking for such bedroom adventures after divorce, at least not right away. Maybe you had a sexless marriage and the idea of sex after divorce sounds more uncomfortable than going to the dentist and uh, the OBGYN at the same time. I mean, nobody wants to do that. Maybe you want to be intimate, but you just haven't gotten your sexy back or you're not feeling very sexy. Or perhaps the thought of having conversations about safe sex with new partners just feels way too awkward. Totally understand. Well, my guest, pleasure coach Nell Walker, wants you to feel powerful and spicy in your body so that you can experience all things pleasurable. And she also wants you to have safe, sexy spaces like the Red Room to talk about all things related to sex and pleasure and desires. So let's get this healing conversation started with some burning questions. Burning questions. Let's turn up the heat for 60 seconds. Well, I am so excited to turn up the heat today with my guest, Nell Walker, the pleasure coach, all the way from Ontario, Canada. You're my first Canadian guest, Nell. I'm so excited. Me too. You know, I was born, I think I shared with you, I was born in Canada. Yeah. So Canada's We're glad very to sexy. have you. Oh, I'm so glad. So Canada's very <laughs> sexy for me. I've definitely romanticized Canada my whole life. So don't tell me the bad things now. I don't want to know. I, I won't. Keep, I, I want to tell you about anything. Concepts of Canada <laughs> intact. Okay. Well, we're going to start this delicious conversation out with some burning questions, and they have been tailored just for you. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. What brings you pleasure? Oh, uh, milk chocolate. <laughs> the month of March is awesome because. The month of March is awesome uh, because we are starting to see spring. <laughs> What's your favorite sexual position? On top. I, I like to, yeah, on top, doing whatever it is that I want back and forth. What is something Americans always assume about Canadians that is just not true? That we're kind. <laughs> are you, I don't want to know now. Okay. Are you a recovering good girl now? Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? You just got to go with your gut answer. Oh, am I recovering? Good? Never. Not once. <laughs> 2022 is your year because I'm becoming famous. Is there a type of food that turns you on? Vegan mac and cheese. <laughs> what is the most unique question you've ever been asked as a pleasure coach? 
do you have two hours? What makes you feel unstoppable? A good bra. Coaching women on how to receive more pleasure is amazing because... Because as soon as women recognize their uh, ability to experience pleasure in the way they want... Their confidence soars and there's a, there's a grounded groundingness to them that you can't shake. I have healed from childhood molestation. Powerful. Thank you, Nell Walker, for answering those burning questions with so much transparency. I love how I learned some things about you that I did not know before. And Thanks for asking. Oh, of course. That's why I asked these burning questions. I am so excited about this conversation today. I actually, I met a couple of women who've been listening to my podcast for a while now, and one of them made a comment to me that really sparked my interest in having this connection with you today. And the comment was, I can't even think about kissing a man. So we're going to get to that. But that was that was the catalyst for our chat today, talking about, of course, the Red Room, which we're going to talk about later in the episode, and also sexual healing after divorce. Amazing. I want to hear from you. We're going to connect about all of these topics, you know, how to heal from having a sexless marriage to feeling sexy again after divorce even practicing safe sex after divorce, which is very important, and also the Red Room experience. Okay, so talk to me today. Sex is a hot topic for we divorced folks. Like a lot of us we, who've been divorced, we had sexless marriages, and, and then we get divorced, and it's either we want to have lots of sex after our divorce, or we're just not interested at all. I was in the first camp, I wanted to have a lot of sex and I enjoyed that, but I have friends who have gone through a divorce and they are just not interested at all. No interest in sex after divorce. So I want to talk to you today about the listener who's in that space. What is your encouragement when it comes to just not being interested in physical intimacy? What should they be doing? Anything at all? What do you think? Well, I think what's really important is to recognize how our bodies handle a divorce or a breakup whether you're, you're, you're legally married or you've been together in common law for a long time. Usually for, for people who are going through a divorce, what happens is we start to um, shut parts of our bodies down that require us to be vulnerable with a partner because then it just doesn't hurt as much. Like if our partner doesn't want to touch us or we don't want to touch them, we, we disconnect from that space and those needs to just get through the day, get the kids out, somehow cohabit with this person, <laughs> like, right. you know, quickly run up Sounds when you familiar. hear the keys. Very familiar. Does it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing that you have to recognize is that your body has already gone into somewhat of a survival mode. And so what's key is that your body has to start to trust you again. It has to, it's kind of like, um, I always say like when we come out of intense relationships where it didn't end well, and we had to disconnect ourselves, I always say that our arousal and the feeling of being sexy, feeling ourselves and any kind of way that has to do with sexuality and sensuality, you have to kind of approach it like you would an abused dog that you got from the shelter. That dog has experienced quite a lot. And I'm not, I don't mean just, and I'm not saying anyone was abused, but if you bring a dog back home, that dog is going to take quite a while to get used to you, used to this new environment and recognize that it's safe. So for a while, it's not going to want to come out. It's going to hide under the bed. And after a while, it's going to start to realize, oh, 
this version of you is safe. This new space is safe. This new routine is safe. And it will start to poke its head out and let you interact with it. And then it will get spooked and hide back under the bed. And then eventually after it can see that there's a pattern arising of safety, then it's going to come out and eventually will never get spooked. And so recognizing that whatever you're going through in terms of divorce, like that is, there are so many experiences with it, but it is layers to adjust to exactly. Right. And so So it just depends. And so first of all, giving your body a safe space, knowing that you can fall apart and rebuild yourself in this place will be the first step to allow you to get in touch with your body. And I would say that's my, my number one biggest thing. Some people have broken, fallen apart in their marriages in the house, and then were somehow able to rebuild before getting out of the marriage or when the divorce was finally complete. And so then they're like, they're ready. They're ready to get out there. Whereas some, yeah, whereas, okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it really is how you coped in that moment. Let's imagine that this same person now uh, has experienced some seasons being divorced and has done some of the healing work and is now open to dating, but isn't ready to be physically intimate. Do you recommend she still go on a date? There, there's no rule saying you have to be physically intimate. I think that's if we go back to the, uh, the the dog scenario, playing with the dog is a way to build trust. So getting out there and figuring out what you like, what you don't like, and how to find your confidence and your voice in scenarios is really helpful. We there's this huge preconceived notion that you have to be physical, you don't, but you do need to be open and set your expectations with an individual. So if you're getting on to your fifth date, and if that person's trying to get intimate with you, then you need to you say, Hey, um, I'm kind of picking up on these vibes. I just want to let you know that I'm not ready for that just yet, or that's not where I'm am. And if that you're okay with that and we're aligned, then let's just keep dating and doing what we're doing, but I'm not ready to be physical. There are no rules. You get to make your rule. I love that. And also one thing that I've talked about with other uh, coaches around dating is dating is repetition, right? Like anything in life to get good at it, we have to do it over and over and over again. And dating has definitely given me that practice to, to, oh, wow, you know, I did that well. I showed up well for myself or mm, I didn't really show up as well for myself as I would have liked to. And I, I do believe that we have to do the action in order to get better at it. So just reading a book about dating isn't necessarily going to make you the best dater. You actually have to put yourself in scenarios and do the work and, and, and have fun with it. Dating should be fun after divorce. I agree. Yeah. And you're so right. It's it's muscle memory, but your muscles have to you have to kind of give them a memory. Exactly. To you have to with. work them a little bit. Right. In a fun way, yeah. in a safe way. What about the listener who left a sexless marriage and really wants to date, but is feeling insecure, isn't feeling very sexy? You talked about this a little bit earlier, but what are some things that he or she could do to feel more confident? The thing I always say with the sexless relationship is that you have to find out what sexy is for you. So sexy is not necessarily getting expensive lotion and applying it to your body because you may not want to touch your body. Um, sexy is about, there, there are, are many different ways to find that 
one of the things I encourage clients to do is to go find your sexy that has nothing to do with your body, because that's, it's a huge confidence boost. It's uh, kind of what I say is a power up. So I always give the example of like, when we are on our own, no one requires anything of us. The kids don't need us. A partner doesn't need us. A sick parent isn't requiring anything from us. If you go out, let's say to your favorite little town and you go out in your cute little blazer or your new shoes and you're feeling good about yourself, maybe you're not feeling fantastic. Maybe you need to gain some weight or lose some weight in your own eyes. Maybe you're not liking aspects about you. But if you get into a space where you feel pretty good about yourself and you go to a space that you like, that's really just for you, grab a coffee or go uh, purchase a little journal and just tour around and focus in on who you are in that moment, because no one needs anything from you. You're not mom. You're not partner. You're just you. And I always have this image of someone going into um, a museum, um, a little art gallery in a little town, and they're just popping in. They're not necessarily interested in art, but they're going in and they have their coffee and they're feeling pretty good. And they're just spending time in a space that requires nothing of them. And it's such a freeing place to be. It, isn't it? it is. Yes. It, it is. I agree, Sadie. And so if then what I ask a client would be to imagine that they're someone else looking in at them, someone who's in, you're just enjoying this moment, looking at a piece of artwork, trying to understand it. It is peaceful. It is quiet. You look great. You've got your nice shoes on. You're feeling pretty good. And someone's looking in at that and that is peaceful and that is sexy. And that's something I give an example of because people think that they have to get into an outfit in bed or buy a bathrobe or whatever. That's not where sexy originates from in any way. You're not really you when you're dressing up in one of those fishnet stockings. You're not really you when you are overloading yourself with makeup and, and accessorizing. Like you are just you when you feel you. And that is a confidence and a sexiness all on its own. And if you can get that, then you can bring that into the bedroom. Then you can bring that into dating. A bit like a book club. More delicious conversations that once made you blush. Pour some wine and let's talk about all things sexy. Yes, the red room. Become a member at divorcedandhappy.net. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about safe sex. I think a lot of us after divorce, we haven't had to practice safe sex in a while. Now we've, we've been monogamous for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And so this whole safe sex is, it's a little, you know, we're a little naive around it. I know I was at times. So right. obviously beyond the obvious, you know, use protection. I mean, the obvious safe sex tips. What else can you offer the listener today around mindfulness when it comes to safe sex? You need to have the conversations about getting tested. You need to have conversations with people and put up expectations. We do not do that enough. And in a quick second, your entire health can change and your dating life can quickly change just like that. So being open and having the conversations, I have been there. I have been terrified to have the conversation. I've judged myself. But the thing is, if when you are asking, when you're the one initiating the conversation, you are in a power position. If another person is feeling silly to answer, they feel embarrassed or they're, they're acting like you're silly 
it gives you a really fabulous and uh, fabulous um, insight into is this person someone I even want to put energy into? Has this person ever been tested? No. Okay. Well, we need to break that down. Let's unpack that. Why? That's a bit of a red flag. So number one would be to be open and having those conversations and making it fun and making it pretty clear. Like that, how do you make it fun now? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's not really like, haha, let's have fun, but making it light and airy. Some so, levity. Okay. And you want to do that in no way near the bedroom. So if you're grabbing a coffee or you are bringing breakfast in bed where there's going to be no sexy time, just say, Hey, by the way, I've been meaning to uh, talk to you about this. I'd love to have a chat about um, testing and STIs. Did you want to do that now? Or do you want to come back to that later, like tomorrow or another time? Cause that gives the other person some time to collect what they need to say because they deserve that. And um, they don't want to be in ambushed and they might need to practice how they're going to tell you or disclose something to you. And presumably this is before you guys are actually intimate. So maybe not breakfast in bed, but, um, <laughs> oh, then when a you... friendly spooning breakfast, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's my breakfast. I could be nice on a yeah. date. You're not ready to have sex, but you want some intimacy. Why not? Exactly. Why not? So I would say when, when you do both agree to have that conversation, just say, yeah, so it's really important to me that I and my partners get tested a few weeks after their last sexual partner and before um, heading into the next one. And so the last time I got tested was this day and I, I tested whatever it is. And then what about you? Now, if you're positive, then you can say, so this is, I'm positive for this. Um, It happened around this time. These are the steps that I took. And this is what you and I would need to do in order to keep you safe and hold space because there are huge amounts of people who are positive. I mean, everyone is pretty much positive for some form of HPV. So keeping it light and airy, it's no one's fault. No one is dirty. People are just having sex. Very common. I mean, just full transparency, and I talked a little bit about this in my tips to happiness in my hearts and parts episode back in February is I, I, I've, since my divorce, I've had an STI, I had chlamydia. And I will tell you now that was to have that experience to, to get tested and be told that I had an STI and I never had one in my life before. It was pretty humbling, but I'm going to own that. I did not have safe sex with the partner that I received chlamydia from. And, and that was a very naive move on my part because I had trusted him. I'd known him for a year. We had an emotional connection. He lived out of town. So it's not like we're having sex a lot. And I was so naive to think that because I emotionally trusted him, Mm, that I would be there. safe. I know we've all been there, but I am in my late forties, girl. I should be a little. No, wiser. but that's the thing. We have a collective trauma as women. We have a collective trauma about speaking up and asking for our needs, whether we're, you're terrified that we're going to bruise someone's ego and they're not going to come back. And we don't know how to cope with that because we haven't found our confidence. There are so many reasons why, but we, as women, I have, I have met women who are CEOs in, in big companies and one, when they come to me, they cannot speak up for their needs in bed. There is a collective trauma for women to speak up for their needs. So having that understanding is going to be huge 
just in general. Well, I appreciate you saying that, not only for myself, but for the listener who probably possibly has had the same experience as I have had since divorce and feels that guilt and shame. And why was I so foolish to think that this would be safe? So it is, it's been a learning curve for me, but I'm grateful for that. I like to start the conversation with my partners with, let's do some adulting. Let's adult for a minute. <laughs> and that helps, you know, they kind of laugh. Nice. Yeah. And then we talk about testing. And I have found though, I will, I have found that I am bringing it up much more often than men are. I don't know what that's yeah. about. Yeah. Well, I don't know either. We should just ask them. It's also like the co- the condom discussion. That one I've never been that it's always been me. It's, it's most women who are, who are bringing up the condom discussion. And so it's a big question as to why are men not taking responsibility around their own health? It is a big question. We're just thinking about pregnancy, but yeah. Well, that shop is closed for me now, so I'm not worried about that anymore. (laughs) Fair enough. But what it, it, it's for, for the men are really only thinking about pregnancy. At least that's been my experience. Right. This from, man from thought when I, heard. cause I said, I had to make the awkward call and I said, I have something to tell you. He thought I was pregnant and I kind of <laughs> laughed about that. No, not pregnant. Did he know? Did he know he had chlamydia? He did not because it's one of those STIs. There's no symptoms for most people. Right. There are so mm-hmm. many, you know, not so many, but there are a few STIs where you would never know unless you're, unless you get tested on yeah. a regular basis. And I, you know, it's so funny. I'm doing this. I have a course. I'm creating pleasure ed master course. And I literally really is just working on the STI portion of it yesterday. And for chlamydia, 50% of it is asymptomatic in women specifically. It is. Yeah. So just saying, oh, but I haven't had any symptoms is no, you can't use that anymore. <laughs> and that's good. To, that's good to know. Because again, I think unless we do our homework, even after divorce, we're kind of naive around the safe sure. sex. Any other tips around safe sex after divorce? People don't think about female condoms. People totally forget about those. Those give you a bit more wiggle room in terms of like the debate where guys are like, well, I don't feel anything. I'm really numb. Well, then pop a female condom in there. I have never <laughs> used a female condom. They are pretty good. Another thing you could try in terms of safe sex would be something called laurels. They are a wearable. Now, technically I'm not allowed to say dental dam, but they're the, the package of panties are on the FDA's desk right now waiting to be approved. They've done their testing, but laurels is a latex, very stretchy, wearable dental dam. So they look just like panties or underwear. People don't like the word panties. And that's a fabulous, they're extremely stretchy. They fit everyone. And I mean, every single body, they are extremely stretchy, very Ooh. thin. And so you can, uh, experience spicy now. Yeah. I you can explore oral play. Yes. Yeah. And also mm. when you're on your period, it holds the blood in so you can have fun so those are really nice and um and i can send you a link to that please do i'll put that in the show notes listener yeah in the show notes okay well safety and sex i'm gonna confess today i again i as a woman i am so unaware of the other experiences many of my female friends have had when it comes to sexual assault. I was really humbled again when I talked to a male friend of mine and he asked me directly, Sadie, have you ever been sexually assaulted? And I said, no. He said, you are in the minority. Consider yourself so fortunate. And it just, I I was speechless after he made that comment. And then he went on to share about how most of his female friends have been sexual assaulted. How common yeah. is sexual assault now? One in three slash one in four women will be sexually assaulted and have been sexually assaulted. Um, and then, um, one in five men, um, will also be sexually assaulted. And that's just the recorded rates. It's extremely common. Um, people think that it's just, uh, intense things like 
rape, but it's also molestation, any kind of sexual trauma. It can happen a lot in relationships. So is anytime you're being forced to do something that you're not wanting is is what I consider sexual assault. And for a woman who's listening today who has had that experience, or for a man who's listening today who's had that experience and hasn't addressed it, and now after divorce, they're experiencing a lot of triggers around that experience when it comes to being on dates and feeling vulnerable and feeling not feeling safe. What is your advice? My first step is always to find the like to create stability within yourself. I think a lot of people will say, go find a trusted friend and tell them. But in order to do that, you have to know what happened to you first and you have to adjust to hearing you say it. So what I will recommend to clients is to get their phone recorder out and start to tell their story or bits and pieces and come back to it if they can, or even head outside on a walk in like in a nature reserve with your headphones in. And you can pretend like you're on a call if someone comes by, if you think they think you're weird for chatting out loud. So speaking your truth is the first thing that I say, because you're not going to be able to speak your truth to anyone else until you hear yourself say it and get comfortable. The next thing that I would say is find someone who gets it, who understands it, because the most challenging thing, at least I experienced when I started to come out um, and say like, so I, I was molested as a child and I had pushed those memories down and I had body memories. And eventually the actual memories started to come up once I started healing myself And what I started to realize was that I had no one to talk to about what I was experiencing. So a lot of the times people who've been sexually assaulted or traumatized in any way will start to find, like become aroused at similar situations or thoughts or scenes from what they experienced. I noticed that when the person who I realized had molested me would come around because that they're still part of my uh, outside life in terms of, I don't see them very often, but they are there in the background as a family friend. I was, was, I'm not attracted to them, but my body would start to react in a way that it was preparing for sex. And as you can imagine, very confusing, starting to get wet, it was very confusing and terrifying. And I didn't know who to tell because that was mortifying. So eventually I started to deal with that. And I I just realized, okay, if, if I don't have someone to turn to then other people don't have someone to turn to and that person needs to be me and in order to make it a safe space I have to let people know what I'm dealing with that's terrifying to speak out just to to say out loud and so what I would say is find someone who actually gets it yes you can go to people who've been trained in it but it's like going to someone who's been trained in autism and they don't even have autism you can only know so much so find someone that you trust. Support and, groups. There must be some support groups, I would imagine. There are plenty. I mean, there you can go in terms of, you know, groups where you can kind of share a bit about what your experience is. The thing is, you have to kind of gain a lot of confidence to do that. Sure. Most people are terrified to even speak it out loud, let sure. alone going and, and telling a, bunch, a group of people. And you don't know if those people somehow, you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or six degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know, everyone knows everyone. So that's terrifying at times. And so I would say, yeah, that can come later. Listening to podcasts, reading articles, TED Talks have some amazing TED Talk shorts that deal with this kind of stuff. And so starting to understand what is normal for your body in terms of how it's going to react will help you understand that 
it, what you're going through is normal and start to uh, familiarize yourself with some stories so to know that you're not alone. I think women's bodies, women's wisdom is a really good book. And then ally allies and healing is a really good book. I've got a bunch of books that would be really good to, uh, to better understand your friends who've been traumatized or yourself or your partner. If you're dating someone who's had that experience, do you think there are enough safe spaces for women to talk candidly about their sexual desires and fantasies? Probably not. No, probably not. And the spaces that are there, I think have a lot of outlines. People try to stay in, in the lines. If you're organizing something, the thing that I learned the most um, about getting into coaching and becoming, um, seen a lot on, on the internet is that like, I was getting into positions that no one was doing. Like you read articles and you talk to people or you listen to a podcast, but no one's really getting into a position and showing you even on YouTube channels for sex coaches, no one's getting into the position and showing you what that is and how to do it. And because it's quite embarrassing. If you think about it, sexual positions are the stupidest thing ever. If you were to do them with, when you're not horny. So finding people who are shameless and who are comfortable with their vulnerability. I'm a big fan of people who can be vulnerable because I think nothing bad happens from being vulnerable when, as in when you're sharing who you are, because you learn how other people are going to react to you. And if they react in a way that's negative, then that's not someone who should be in your hemisphere. (laughs) So no, I don't think there's enough space. And I am so excited because you are going to be one of the sexperts in the red room, Nell, and you are actually going to show we ladies how to do those sexual positions. Absolutely. I've been telling my girlfriends, they're like, like, is she going to be naked? I'm like, no, she's not going to be naked, (laughs) but she's going to get on the bed and show us how to have more pleasure in the bedroom. So I cannot wait. So the red room, you, you and I have talked about this and again, it, for me, my vision around it is creating just what you're talking about, a place where we can color outside of the lines. We can talk about erotic and sensual and sexy topics, and there is no judgment. It is a safe space. Wherever you're at is great. It's wonderful. I just want everyone to hear that it's a safe space for like-minded women to have honest conversations about sex and sexual desires and curiosity around sexual experiences and feeling more comfortable and confident in the bedroom. That is what the red room experience is all about because we women need more of that. Men, men are so comfortable talking about sex because they've been given permission to do that their whole (laughs) lives. We ladies need to start giving ourselves and creating safe spaces to have these conversations because we are sexual beings just as much as men are. I love sex Nell. Yum. Good. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. And I think that's really important having, um, having you around, like you are someone who is so confident in your experiences. Um, you can speak up and say, well, this is what I experienced. Da, 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 da. And that's what women need. Women need the people who are going to say, Oh, I puked on someone's penis when I was going down on them. And then I swallowed it because I'm a champ, but not really. Um, you need someone to say that that happened to me. Yeah. Like, when we can just say, this is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. This is very embarrassing and mortifying. Then other women will be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Or this is what I want up. to happen to me. This is what I <laughs> yeah. want to be doing. Yeah. So I'm really excited um, to be a part of it. 
Oh, I'm so excited. Well, this has been such a powerful, insightful, empowering conversation. I thank you so much for your time today. Any final words of encouragement to the listener who just wants to take steps to feel ready for sex or, or to feel more sexy or to, to feel safer when it comes to the topic of sex? It all starts with you. So if you want to have better sex, it starts with your masturbation. If you want to find better confidence with yourself um, in, in dating, it starts with you. Everything starts with you. You are all you need. Um, if you are terrified to have a conversation with someone about changing a position up or sharing your STI results, then speak it out loud on your own in the shower, in your bath, on a walk, practice it, hear yourself, say it, and then it won't be so scary. Practice different configurations. Everything starts with you. If you're scared of a position, Google it, YouTube it, learn all about it, try it on your own, figure it out, what works best, then incorporate it into bed. Everything starts with you. Your pleasure power is you. Oh, I love that. That's so, that's so spicy. And how can the listener learn more about your coaching now and, and find out more about, you know, what you're passionate about when it comes to pleasure and women experiencing so much pleasure. You can find me at nellthepleasurecoach.com and then on any social media account is at nellthepleasurecoach. Um, and then if you go to my website, I have two courses that you can sign up for, one on something called Centribation and one you can pre-sign up for Pleasure Ed, which will essentially go over everything that you should learn and should have learned about sex, um, pleasure, uh, solo pleasure, partner pleasure, and gaining confidence. Well, it has been such a pleasurable experience and powerful experience (laughs) talking to you today, Nell. Thank you again so much and happy Women's History Month. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me on, Sadie. Excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much, Nell, for your powerful and playful insights, for all of your great advice and suggestions and all of your amazing resources. Links for all of them are in the show notes. And I know I'm definitely checking out these laurels Nell mentioned. They sound so spicy. For me, experiencing sexual healing since my divorce has brought me so much happiness and a lot of great stories, which makes it the perfect time to share a tip to happiness with you. My tip to happiness for you this week is I want you to consider coloring outside of the lines when it comes to sex. Society puts men and especially women in so many boxes around sexual experiences, what we can talk about, what we can desire, who we can tell, what's acceptable sexually and what's not. We've been conditioned to color inside the lines when it comes to so many things, but especially sex. And that, in my opinion, really limits the creative expression that sex is. I have a fun story to share. I have a sister friend. I know some of you have sister friends too, the friends that we choose as family. And she and I, we've known each other, we've known each other for, oh gosh, a million years since we were 18 years old. But it wasn't only until recently, like the last few years since I've been divorced, she's also divorced, that she and I talked candidly about sex. I mean, we were college roommates and we never talked about sex. And now we're lovely middle-aged ladies and boy, do we love to talk about sex. We love it. We're texting each other at one in the morning and two in the morning, sharing all of our delicious stories. 
And it's, it's wonderful to have a friend that I can tell all of my sexual escapades to, and she does the same. And there's no judgment. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's very celebratory. It's just, it's so freeing to have such a safe space. My interaction with this dear friend of mine sparked my idea for the Red Room. And I know I've talked about the Red Room experience for a few episodes now, but I'm just so excited to have this space with you where you and I can color outside of the lines and we can support each other and and laugh with each other as we share what it is we really desire and want to experience and and have experienced or what we don't want to experience when it comes to sexual pleasure and intimacy. So I am inviting you, my spicy sister, to meet me and my friend and other like-minded women in the Red Room. And the spicy fun begins two weeks on Wednesday, March 16th at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're going to meet every third Wednesday of the month from March until August. I know I've said this already, but it is. It's going to be way more delicious than a book club. You can feel that, right? And I've also invited some amazing sex experts like Nell to join us and you can ask them anything. And I mean anything around sexual pleasure, kink, sexual positions that maybe you've never tried before, toys, the best lube, solo play techniques, sexual fantasies, and so much more. Let's color outside the lines together in the red room. And you can find a link to the membership page in the show notes and invite your girlfriends to join in the fun. Till we connect next Wednesday, I want you to take your beautiful self out for that special tea that Nell talked about and breathe in all that you're doing to to love on yourself and heal and grow and become. And while you do that, I want you to also own just how incredibly sexy and delicious you really are. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode and be sure to subscribe, rate, and of course, review the podcast. And I want you to be part of this playful life after divorce community by following me on Instagram and Facebook at Sadie's Divorced and Happy. Be sure to also visit my website, divorcedandhappy.net to download Sadie's eight tips to happiness. And you'll also find all of my podcast episodes on my website as well. If you found value in today's episode, or if you've been listening to the podcast for some time now, consider being an official sponsor. Just email contact at divorcedandhappy.net to learn more about this tasty opportunity. And speaking of tasty, you can also treat me to a cup of coffee. It's simple. Just visit buy me a coffee dot com backslash Sadie Marie and you can buy me a cup or two online and I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I'm your host Sadie Marie and I look forward to connecting with you on the next spicy episode. Until then, be sure to treat yourself to some delicious act two fun.